Hello and welcome to another edition of Todd Talks Bible. This engaging discipleship-based Bible study is sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. And our teacher is Todd Tolles, the founder and director of CDM. A career firefighter captain before entering the ministry, Todd founded Church Discipleship Ministries to equip and empower believers to fulfill your calling to be a spiritual warrior dedicated to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's listen in now as Todd Talks Bible. Can churches go bad? Let's talk about that coming up next. Hi, brothers and sisters. My name is Todd Tolles, and I'm the director of Church Discipleship Ministries. I want to welcome you to our discipleship program, Todd Talks Bible. Today, we're continuing our study in the book of Revelation, and we're going to be looking at the church of Thyatira. Now, I can hear it right now, everybody yelling at me through the screen. I understand a lot of y'all are saying to me, Todd, we started this Bible study with you in the book of Revelation because we wanted to learn about future events. But you're spending all this time on these churches of the past. And last session, you had all these uh, historical facts, all these dates. And it's really frustrating, Todd, because I don't like history. Okay, I get it. I get it. A lot of us don't like history. But history is very important. Very important. Because without understanding what's going on in the history of the church for the last 2,000 years, then we won't be able to properly interpret any of the prophecies for the future that are written in the book of Revelation. Let me explain. For 2,000 years, Satan has been waging war on the church, trying to stop the spread of the gospel. We talked about that at the beginning of the study. And for 2,000 years, he's been doing various things, and the church has responded in various ways, and the church has messed up in various ways. And yes, the short answer to the question is, churches can go bad. And we've got to look at how the church went bad in several different historical ways for the last 2,000 years, but also how Christ was still using a group of people who were staying faithful and true to his teachings to keep the gospel pure. And so we look at the past, and by looking at the past and comparing it to what we know now, we can get a better interpretation for the prophetic uh, future that the book of Revelation talks about. Now, let me explain this with an illustration of geometry. Y'all remember your high school geometry, right? Two points determine a straight line. And this is true if I was hiking through the woods or whatever. You always need two points of reference to determine the direction you're going. So the past and understanding what happened in these seven churches in the past is one point. Looking at the church and understanding what we see today within the church is our second point. So the past and the present represents two points, and these two points determine a straight line of interpretation so that we can better understand the prophecies that John reveals in the book of Revelation. So by looking at the past and understanding the present, we can have a proper interpretation of the future. So let's dive in. And let's read in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18, about the church of Thyatira. Because, see, this church and its place in history is very important. We've talked about three churches so far, and it's taken us all the way up through and including the 500s. We've talked about the church of Ephesus. And which was the early church. And we talked about Smyrna, which was the persecuted church for the first uh, 200 years or so in church history. 
Last two sessions, we talked about the Church of Pergamum, which carried us all the way from the 300s all the way through to the 500s. But today, we are talking about the Church of Thyatira, what I like to call the Dark Age Church or the Church of the Dark Ages. And this takes us all the way from the 600s all the way up through and including the 1400s. And that's where its place is in history. And again, by understanding this history a little bit, we'll be able to properly interpret the prophecies that John relates to us later in the book of Revelation. But don't fear, there won't be so many dates today. We did most of our dates last session. So let's begin. Revelation 2, verse 18. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are bright like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. I know all the things you do, your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She is encouraging them to worship idols, eat food offered to idols, and commit sexual sin. I gave her time to repent, but she would not turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her upon a sickbed, and she will suffer greatly with all who commit adultery with her, unless they turn away from all their evil deeds. I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths, as they call them. Depths of Satan, really. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. As you can tell from this passage, this church had a very severe problem, something involving a woman called Jezebel, and we're going to talk about that later. But this is important, again, to reiterate that this is a part of history from the 600s to the 1400s, what I like to call the Dark Age Church. And the reason for that is because of the different sins and false theologies they brought in here. And this one, talking about Jezebel, is one of them. And we'll get to that in a second. But I want us to give a, a bird's eye view of all the things this time period involved in the church. Now, keep in mind, this is still just the one church. There has been no Protestant Reformation yet. This is the one church. It called itself the Catholic Church. The word Catholic means universal. So this is the one church, but it entered into a very dark time where it was doing a lot of things actually against God and the true gospel of Christ. There's five things that the Dark Age Church was primarily involved in. The first was is they continued to worship Mary, the mother of Jesus. They continued to elevate her to a position of dominance over Jesus, over God. They called her the mother of God. 
Listen to the Hail Mary, which is a prayer. And this prayer called Hail Mary is also rendered into a famous song called Ave Maria. And I know some churches, the Protestant churches even, that have had this song Ave Maria sang, but people don't understand what it's really saying because it's in a different language. But listen to the English translation of the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Again, it's putting Mary in an elevation above Jesus, saying that she is the mother of God and therefore has authority over the king of kings. And that's just not true. Listen to their famous hymn of Salvo Regina. Hail, Holy Queen is what it is in English. Uh, this is sing uh, in part during Advent season. And at the end, it actually has a prayer from the rosary. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm certainly not going to sing it. I wouldn't want to hear that. But I'm just going to quote a couple of the stanzas here. Listen to this. O holy mother of mercy, hail our, love, hail our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. So it's calling Mary our advocate. And that's totally against Scripture because the Bible teaches that there is only one mediator, one advocate, and that is Jesus Christ, the Lord God. It goes on to say this, Pray for us, O holy mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. So now it's praying to Mary to get Mary to influence God because she's the mother of God so that we will be declared righteous. It goes on near the end, and this is part of the prayer from the rosary that I said was at the end. Grant that we rejoice in her, which or Mary, grant that as we rejoice in her commemoration, so by her fervent intercession, we may be delivered from present evils and from everlasting death. So now it's saying that Mary will intercede for us so that we will be delivered from evil and from eternity in hell. So again, it has shifted during this time period in the church from the 600s through the 1400s. It kept uh, strengthening this doctrine that Mary was supreme over Jesus, something that started with the age of Pergamum, the church in Pergamum during that time period that we looked at of the 300s, 400s, and 500s. But now, during the 600s through the 1400s, it's been building and building and building. And if you remember, you know, this got so bad that I told you that even in, in uh, as late as, I believe it was 1962, but it was in the 1960s, that they declared, the Second Vatican declared that Mary was still truly considered the mother of God. So this has been a problem within the church for 2,000 years almost, right at about 1,500 years. So they continued with the worship of Mary. That's the first thing the church did during this dark time. The second thing is that they banned the Bible. Believe it or not, the church banned the Bible. Pope Innocent III banned personal Bible reading in 1199. He said people could not read the Bible unless there was a priest there to interpret it. 
Then, in 1229, the Council of Toulouse, the church banned the Bible totally for lay people. They could not have the Bible or any translation in the vernacular. In other words, they could not have a Bible in their own language. And no one spoke Latin anymore. And so it was compounding this rule about 30 years earlier where they said you had to have a priest there to interpret it because they would not allow any scripture to be printed except for in Latin, which no one spoke anymore. So they weren't allowing people to have the word of God. They weren't allowing people, believers, to have their own Bibles and to read the Bible on their own. The church, the church of Christ, who's supposed to spread the light of the gospel of Christ to all people, banned the Bible from the believers. This is why I call this the Dark Age Church, because the leadership of the church at this time, the Nicolaitans, those who declared themselves the Papa or the Pope of the church, the head of the church, instead of Christ being head of the church, these uh, leaders of the church, these bureaucrats, if you will, of this false teaching, banned the Bible from believers. And this caused true believers to hunger and thirst for the word, and they had to live in darkness without the shining light of God's word to comfort them. That's why this is the church of the dark age. But the church didn't stop there. It also persecuted believers and Jewish people. Believers and Jewish people. Uh, look at this. And John Wycliffe, and he lived in the 1300s. Uh, he was trying to translate the Bible into English, which was illegal. Remember, it was declared to be illegal. And his followers and the people he was discipling were called the Lollards which was a slang term to mean uneducated. In other words, the Nicolaitans were saying these people have never been educated in a seminary, uh, maybe even not even in a college. These people are uneducated, and therefore, since they did not go to the seminaries that we went to, they can't read the Bible, they can't interpret Scripture properly. See, they were denying the power of the Holy Spirit who interprets the Scripture for a believer when he reads it. So, these people... Uh, the Lollards were following the teachings of John Wycliffe, and the church started going after him. Unfortunately for the church, he died of a stroke before they could execute him. But, hey, the church was so evil, it didn't matter. In 1415, they ruled him as a heretic, and then in 1428, they burned all his writings, dug up his remains, and burned them to ashes, and threw all the ashes into the river. So, even though he was dead, they still excommunicated him, declared him a heretic, and burned him. John Wycliffe in the 1300s. Also, John Huss in the late 1300s to the early 1400s. I know this is getting uh, into uh, the 1400s now, almost to the end of this time period of Thyatira. But John Huss was bur also burned at the stake. And it's because he affirmed Wycliffe's teachings and kept the truth of trying to have the people interpret the scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit instead of the Pope and the Nicolaitans dictating everything that we were supposed to believe. They burned him at the stake. William Tyndale, 1494, he was born. Now, he does definitely go into the next section, the 1500s. So it's right there at the end. He really doesn't 
uh, include in this time period of history. We'll talk a little bit more about this time period next time. But he's right there at the transition, so I want to mention what happened to him. He also was burned, and he was the one responsible for translating the Bible into English, and he was also from this Lollard tradition. But they burned him at the stake, too. All these people suffered and died at the hands of the church because they're trying to get the word out to us as Christians so that we could have a Bible in our own language. We could have a Bible that we could read, a Bible of the vernacular in the common tongue so that we could read and grow and know what God was teaching us and get to know God on a very personal, intimate level. And the church, the Nicolaitans of the church were trying to stop this. But let's go on. Not only did the church persecute people who were trying to come out with the Bible, uh, but they started persecuting any kind of believer and Jewish people uh, because they did not believe exactly what the church hierarchy was teaching. This was called the Inquisitions. And they started in the late 1100s by Pope Lucius III. And it went on for hundreds of years from the 1100s on. And they were hunting down anybody that disagreed with some of the false teaching that the church was doing. And they would put them on trial. And they, so many times they were executed. Okay, and this just didn't happen in Spain. You've heard of the Spanish Inquisition, but it happened in a lot of places. It started in France, Italy, Portugal, Spain. Everywhere the church had control, they started having inquisitions to hunt people who were uh, not believing what the church pope and the church hierarchy, the Nicolaitans, were teaching and trying to go strictly by the Bible. These people were being uh, hunted down, put on trial, and I want to tell you, tens of thousands were put on trial and thousands were executed during this time. I mean, the church of the Dark Ages, the Dark Age church, not only banned the Bible, but started committing murder, killing thousands of believers. Thousands of believers were martyred by their church herself. And then, of course, like we talked last time in the uh, Fourth Crusade, by the time it came along in 1204, the Christians in the West sacked the Constantinople, the center of the church in the East. I mean, the church went bad. Yes, churches can go bad. And the Christian church went bad. It's called the Dark Age Church. The fourth thing the church was doing then, Nicolaitan took control of the Nicolaitanism, uh, thrived. Uh, the Nicolaitans of the church, the leaders of the church who said we are higher than the laity. And even though Christ said never do that, they did. And then they started marrying into politics. And I'm not going to go into all the history there. You could read it. It's very fascinating. But popes and bishops and priests became the supreme authority and definitely declared themselves the authority over the laity and over the peasants. Uh, this led to feudalism, where you had kings and nobles versus the peasants of a society. This all is all involved in the whole Holy Roman Empire, where the church was putting influence in all the government. And many times the king could not rule unless they were sanctioned by the church. All this was going on during the Dark Ages. And finally, the fifth thing the church was doing during this time is they changed the gospel message. 
This is when the doctrine of purgatory came up, where a person who died and they didn't have all their sins forgiven by a priest, even though Jesus may have, and he's the only one that needs to forgive us of our sins. But they taught that if a person still had uh, venal sins in their life, not mortal, not the really bad sins, but just regular sin in their life, that they could work them off in purgatory, spend a couple thousand years in a uh, a purgatory, not quite as bad as hell, but not heaven, and even this in-between state, work off their sins until they are allowed into heaven. Total heresy. According to Scripture, if you believe in Jesus, when you die, you go into the presence of the Lord. But they were teaching this false doctrine. And they also, at this time, started selling indulgences. And I'm sure you remember this, some from your high school history. If not, read some of this stuff, because this is what the church of Thyatira is representing in the book of Revelation. So those indulgences were a donation that you would give to the church. You would give them some money, give the priest some money, and he'd give you an indulgence or a pass for any sins you were going to do. And many churches would sell them in advance because that's how they raised the money for all their big cathedrals. And so what would happen is, you know, during Lent, they would want everyone to be pure to get ready for Easter. And so what they would do, they'd have a big party, and today it's called Mardi Gras. And they'd have this festival, and they'd go wild during this festival, and then they could last out from all their sins and fast from their sins for 40 days through Lent. But just in case they died during Mardi Gras, they didn't want to go to purgatory hell, so the church would sell indulgences to them. So it is. this is just five of the many things that was going bad in the church during the 600s and 1400s. And this is the time period that the Church of Thyatira represents. But understand also, there are truths there that are written for the church that actually existed during this time when John wrote this letter. And there's principles there for us to take and apply to our life even today. So let's start looking at some of those. Let's look again at the traits that Jesus declares of himself, how he describes himself. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are bright like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. These eyes of fire kind of speak of judgment, doesn't it? It's saying, look, these eyes of fire are kind of like x-ray fire, you know, x-ray eyes. I can look into the hearts of people. I know what's going on. He sees and he's not happy. He's got eyes of fire. This is that warrior aspect of Jesus coming out. So that's how he describes himself. And let's look at how he gives knowledge of what he knows what's going on in the church there in Thyatira. I know all the things you do, your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. So these are six things that Jesus says he knows about and approves of. Their works, in the words, their deeds of faith that they're doing, their ministry to the people, the works, their love, their faith, their service. Again, this is the ministry that every believer should have, spreading the gospel, their, their service or their ministry, some other type of Christian service. Also, their faith has patient endurance. They're not giving up. They patiently endure the good times and bad. 
And then he goes on and says, and you are constantly improving or you are spiritually growing. In other words, their deeds of late are more than the deeds of first. In fact, some translations say it that way, and that's the more literal way of saying it. So what's going on is, it's talking about Christians who are doing what they're supposed to be doing and pleasing God, but it's not all in the beginning and then they slack off. No, each year as they grow and mature, more and more fruit is coming out. So they're doing like a Christian should. Their works or their fruit is becoming more and more abundant as their life goes on. And that's a good thing. Now, I, say, I know what you're saying. You're saying, but Todd, you said this church had some bad things. Well, exactly. And we talked about the historical representation of what was going on in the church at this time. But let's remember, no matter what is going on within the leadership of the church, the Holy Spirit is still at work. And so you start to see this, this separation of people, people who are part of the false teachings, the Nicolaitans of the church, versus the average believer, the people who are sincerely seeking God. And these two groups are starting to separate at this point in time. And that's what's going on in the church of Theratira at this point. And God, Jesus gives two different messages for these two different groups. Let's look at it. The first group is in verse 21. And this is his message to that first group. Let's start back in verse 20. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting a woman that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She's encouraging them to worship idols, eat food offered to idols, and commit sexual sin. I have given her time to repent, but she would not turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her upon a sickbed, and she will suffer greatly. Now, this phrase, suffer greatly, many translations will talk about, I'll put her into a great tribulation. But again, this phrase is the same word, thalipson. And remember, this is not talking about that seven-year period of time. We talked about this uh, a couple of sessions ago. This is talking about persecution, where they are being faced with jail and martyrdom. And like I said then, lots of times persecution comes to a church that's revived and doing right, but lots of times it comes as a way to wake people up who are not doing right within the church and get them to repent and straighten up. So this is what's happening. He's saying, look, the people who are following Jezebel. Now, who is this Jezebel? Well, Jezebel was probably a real woman in the church of Thyatira. We don't know what her real name was, but she obviously was teaching people a false doctrine. She declared herself as a prophet. She was taking authority as a Nicolaitan and saying, it's okay to do certain things. And it talks about uh, worshiping idols and eating food to idols. Now, what's interesting is Thyatira actually was had a temple there dedicated to Apollo, the sun god. Now, this is very interesting because uh, you can kind of see with all the immorality that went with all these worship of different gods, the, uh, the temples to Apollos and the temples to uh, Aphrodite and others, a lot of times they, they involved um, temple prostitution. So there was a lot of sexual immorality, and it was also worshiping the sun god, Apollo. And so whoever this woman was in the time of John, 
had set herself up as a prophet and authority, a leader of the church, and there was telling people it's okay to assimilate into this culture. Remember, we talked about that before uh, with the Church of Pergamum, this tendency to assimilate into the sinful culture. Well, that's what she was advocating. And it's interesting that they used the word Jezebel. And that's not a real name, probably. It's probably a, a metaphor. It's obvious that Jesus is trying to connect her teachings to what was going on with Jezebel. Now, who was the real Jezebel? Jezebel, you can read in 1 Kings chapter 17 through 22. She was the wife of Ahab, and they had brought Baal worship into the nation of Israel. Now, Baal worship is interesting. See, this goes all the way back to Nimrod, who was uh, married to his uh, lover, Semiramis, and many traditions say that was also his mother. And he died a violent death. And the child of their union was named Tammuz. And Semiramis called Tammuz the reincarnation of Nimrod. And that he was the sun god. And that she was the mother of the sun god or the mother of God. So you can see the roots there all the way back in Genesis of this false religion of having a mother of God and a sun god. And this was carried on throughout the centuries. Um, Ahab and his wife Jezebel brought it into the, uh, it's called Baal worship, brought it into the nation of Israel. And you can see the influence and the parallels with this with the church at the time. Now, I'm not going to go into this anymore, but it's a fascinating study. And I encourage you to do some more research on your own about the parallels of Baal worship and what entered into the Catholic church at this time. So, Jezebel was probably a real woman getting them to assimilate into the idol culture. They were, she was probably referred to as Jezebel to show that there is a connection between the church at this time and throughout the centuries of the Dark Ages to Baal worship. The mother of God, the worshiping of the mother of God, the prayers to the mother of God, all this is connected to Baal worship. And what does he say is going to happen? He says, I'm going to take all her children, all who commit adultery with her. And unless they turn away from their evil deeds, I will strike her children dead. And a lot of people think that she was just teaching sexual sin. Now, that's not true. This is, this is a very common prophetic uh, word that God uses for people who are straying from the true faith. He calls them adulterers. You can read this in the book of Hosea many times through that book and other places in the prophetic books of the Old Testament. But often when people have a true faith in worshiping Jesus, and yet they go astray and start combining other gods and other forms into it, he calls them adulterers because they're cheating on the one true God. And during the Dark Ages, this is exactly what was going on with the church, with the worship of Mary, the mother of God, and how it all ties into Baal worship. They were going astray and adding other gods to their worship praying to idols, different uh, statues of different saints that they thought had different power. All this was being promulgated during the uh, Dark Ages, the time period of the 600s to the 1400s. And I think this few verses here to the Church of Thyatira is showing that not only what was going on in the Church of Thyatira was happening, but it's also is a warning of what was going to happen during this time period of the 600s through 1400s. 
And it goes on and says, he will strike them dead. And eventually they will go through great suffering. So God at a time when a church goes through this, he may bring discipline on the church to wake them up. And eventually if they don't wake up, death will ensue, I think. And I think that's what was going on here. The people who were perverting the gospel so much, God took them out. And that's why you see a lot of volatility within the church and the popes during this time period. All types of intrigue and murder and whatnot. Very interesting reading of the dark ages of the church. But let's go on. That's the first group, the group that was not following God. How can we apply that to today? Well, it's interesting. In churches today, uh, you might even heard someone talk about that person has the spirit of Jezebel. What are they talking about? Well, Jezebel was the power behind King Ahab's throne and led everybody astray in the nation of Israel with Baal worship. Well, if a church has someone who's of the spirit of Jezebel, typically they're referring to somebody who behind the scenes is causing all kinds of problems for a local church, maybe through gossip, maybe through false teaching, but their agenda is not of God's. And so we can see how that applies today. This sin of leading people astray and perverting the truth is alive and well, even in churches today. And even in churches today, things can go bad. Churches can go bad. Now, I, I know some of y'all are saying, wait a minute, Todd, I'm a Protestant. I'm not a Catholic. You're talking about the Catholic church there. You're forgetting about the Protestant Reformation. We're Protestants. Well, wait a minute now. Just because we're Protestants doesn't mean we're not pray to the same temptations that the early churches had also. And we're going to say that next session when we look at the Church of Sardis and the Reformation movement. But understand, these sins are common throughout churches all today. Every one of these churches had sins that are common to people today. And there are people in churches today that follow the spirit of Jezebel, so to speak, and cause great problems with false teaching and lead the true believers astray, or at least try to lead the true believers astray with their false teaching and their immorality and uh, their teaching of uh, accepting certain false truths of the world and trying to marry themselves into the world. And that, that will never work, but it's still a sin of churches today, even Protestant churches. But let's go on. Let's look at the second group, because not only do you have this group of this false teaching that's headed by the Nicolaitans and causing all this bad stuff to be uh, happening in the church for, oh, goodness, 800 years or more, 900 years. And you also have a group, though, that was staying pure. And Jesus talked about them. In the church of Thyatira also, they had that separate group that wasn't following the teachings of Jezebel. Listen again to verse 19. He says, I know all the things you do, your works, in other words, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. So there was a group who had their true Christian works and their love and their faith and their service and their ministries, and they were patiently enduring, and they were growing spiritually. There was a separate group that was not following Jezebel and her false teachings. This group 
we like to call the remnant. And you might have heard that term today. Whenever there's a bad group trying to take over the church, those who hold faithful, the remnant, and they may be a small group, but they endure. And they're the ones that Jesus is talking to in this next section. Look at verse 24. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira. See, those who have not followed Jezebel. The rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths, as they call them, depths of Satan, really. And, and that's, that's very true. This whole thing about Baal worship and perverting the gospel comes straight from Satan. And we got to realize that. That's why we have to stay pure in our doctrine and stay pure in our theology. But what does Jesus say to this group that is staying pure and not giving in? He says, I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. So he says, look, this is a message to you. I'm not putting any burdens on you. You just keep fighting. You just keep holding faithful to the truth of Scripture. You keep holding faithful to the truth. That's all you need to do. Hold fast. Hold your faith strong until I come. And that's what Christians had to do in the church of Thyatira. That's what Christians had to do all through the dark ages. And that's what Christians have to do now, even in America, when there's so much false teaching and unrighteousness going on. The true believers have to hold to the scripture, keep their faith, and carry on. And that's all Jesus is asking. Verse 26 Here's where he gives out the rewards to those who overcome, just like he has for every other church. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my father. Wow. They will have the same authority that he received from his father. Now, we don't have time to go into it today, but this is obviously talking about the millennial kingdom, when Jesus reigns as the king of kings. Now, there is a spiritual kingdom now. Don't deny that. There is a spiritual kingdom, and we are at work within this kingdom. But we're kind of like special forces working behind enemy lines because Jesus hasn't yet taken his throne as king of kings. In the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 and other places in the Bible, it says clearly he is sitting at the right hand of God's throne now. But soon he will come into his kingdom, like he talked about in Matthew 24 and 25. And when he comes into his kingdom, we will reign with him. And you can read more about this in Revelation chapter 20, but we'll come to that later on. So you got to keep following these sessions. We're coming to that. So the first thing he says, if you're victorious, you will reign one day with him. The next thing he says, and I will also give them the morning star. This is in the last part of verse 28. So what is the morning star? Well, the morning star typically is that last star you see that's still shining when the sun arises. And Jesus calls himself the morning star. In Revelation 22, 16, the last, in the last verses of the Bible, verse 16 of the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus says he is the morning star. So what's he saying? He's going to give them himself. But Todd, I'm a believer. I already have Jesus. Yeah, I know. 
What Jesus is saying here, though, that if you're a believer in the dark ages, if you're the believer in the dark age of the church or in dark ages or dark days today, if you're part of the remnant, the believers who are holding true and solid to the faith as taught in the Bible, and not going along with all the false teaching of the false religions today. If you're one of those believers, you're wearing thin, aren't you? I mean, think about it. Christians are wearing thin now in America. The shutdown of the COVID, the riots in the streets, the increase in verbal uh, Persecution is the best word I can come up with. Verbal complaints and persecution of churches. It's all verbal right now. Some of it's laws or passing laws trying to keep people from singing in churches because of the COVID shutdown. But right now, it's, it's not like true persecution where they're taking people to jail. But it worries Christians because it's setting the stage for that. And I understand why people are worried. And all this begins to weigh down on you, doesn't it? And all this begins to just drag you down and wear you thin. But what Jesus is saying, if you hold firm, there will come a point in time in your life that you realize that all that counts is Jesus. And that is when you realize that he's given you everything. Because when he gives you himself, you realize that's all you need, and that's all you want. And when you come to that point, you understand what it means when he says he's the morning star. Because you realize that's all you need, that's all you want, and that point in your life becomes the start of a brand new day and a brand new journey with a closer relationship with your Savior. And that's what I want every believer to have to realize that Jesus is their all in all. Not to follow all the false teachings of the uh, their Nicolaitans that are still around today. Not to fall prey to all the assimilation and false teachings of being uh, assimilated into our culture of evil. No, stay pure, follow the Bible. Listen to the Holy Spirit as he reveals the truths of scripture to you. Read your Bible because people die for it. And when you do that, when you realize that Jesus is everything that you need, you will have strength to carry on, and you will have joy. And when you realize that, you will kneel down in prayer and lift your hands up to God and praise Him because you realize that you are one of the richest people in the world because you know God, and He knows you intimately. And you will realize you have the morning star and that your new life, your new day is just beginning. And that is what it means to have the morning star. I pray that happens to you. Read your Bible. Study these truths. Go back over and meditate on what we've said in this session. And until next time, keep your eyes to the sky, because he may be coming soon. Keep your eyes to the sky and look out and read your Bible. 
Thank you for listening to Todd Talks Bible, sponsored by Church Discipleship Ministries. For more information, please visit churchdiscipleshipministries.com or check today's show notes for the link. Our teachings are also available on YouTube. Simply search for Todd Talks Bible. I'm Brian Race, encouraging you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider sharing this timely teaching with someone you believe needs to hear it. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.